I'm so excited for you to hear from today's guest, Mark Taylor. Mark has been a professional percussionist for 25 years and has had the opportunity of performing with some of the UK's finest orchestras and theater companies. Finding his passion and voice through music gave Mark the desire to share this understanding through his drum and percussion teaching, which he provides in schools and in his private practice. Each person has their own interests to follow and story to tell. However, there are some common threads of knowledge and wisdom that sparked a flame in Mark to find out more, a desire to share these ideas with the world. This was the beginning of his podcast, Education on Fire. Mark interviews educators from around the world so that he can enable you to support your children to live, learn, and grow to their full potential. Having spoken to over 200 guests, Mark uses these insights to support teachers and parents in his role as vice chair of the National Association for Primary Education, a non-political charity in the UK. I want to name that this episode was recorded August 9th of 2021. Let's get to the episode. Hi, I'm Lindsay Lyons, and I love helping school communities envision bold possibilities, take brave action to make those dreams a reality, and sustain an inclusive, anti-racist culture where all students thrive. I'm a former teacher leader turned instructional coach, educational consultant, and leadership scholar. If you're a leader in the education world, whether you're a principal, superintendent, instructional coach, or a classroom teacher excited about school-wide change like I was, you are a leader. And if you enjoy nerding out about the latest educational books and podcasts, if you're committed to a lifelong journey of learning and growth and being the best version of yourself, you're going to love the Time for Teachership podcast. Let's dive in. Mark Taylor, welcome to the Time for Teachership podcast. Lindsay, thank you so much. I really appreciate you asking me to be a guest. I'm so excited to have you. And I love that I got to be on your show and now you're on mine. So this is such a cool continuation of a previous conversation. Um, I just read your professional bio at the top of the episode. And I'm just wondering, is there anything you want to add to that in terms of context, things that we should know about you? I guess the main thing is because I don't believe in the silo way of life you know i've got three children at home you know um one of them's just about to turn 20 unbelievably and then and then two other teenagers so i've sort of seen them through the primary stage and into the secondary stage and then beyond and we're just in this kind of little hiatus of then going to college and all of that kind of thing so i think that kind of context in terms of having a, a parental experience of the breadth of education and how that takes well it takes a different kind of context when you're on that side of the fence and just being an educator i think is really important and, and you know the silo thing is important because obviously many teachers and, and leaders listening are going to be parents as well and it's having that slightly different hat and uh, I think that's really interesting and it certainly came across the course when there was all the homeschooling because teachers and leaders and everything doing everything in sort of juggling all those things together those different hats and ways of coming across makes a makes a big difference to the perspective of how you take these things on. Absolutely. And such a valuable perspective to have too, because it's such a, it's such, I imagine I'm not a parent, but, but it's, you know, it's such a different experience. I, I imagine from that parent view. So thank you so much for contextualizing that. And I, and I hope more guests, uh, you know, want to talk about that as well. So thank you for setting that stage. Um, and one of the first questions that I always ask is in line with the idea of freedom dreaming, which Dr. Bettina Love describes as dreams grounded in the critique of injustice. I'm curious to know, what is the big dream that you hold for the field of education? Um, for me, it was really the idea of opportunity um, and the idea that it's all about questioning 
and the lens that we put this in the environment that we put the contextual idea of it in rather than every child should be this level at this age in this subject in their way and I, I think to understand that when every child is born they have this natural ability to grow you know we don't teach them to walk we don't teach them to do these things it's inbuilt we give them the environment they need keep them safe all of that kind of stuff and just allow them to go and we kind of lose that as we start to go through the education world and the system doesn't necessarily give that breadth that you actually need and i so i kind of think to bring that into the education world i think then just enables so many things to happen organically whether it's well-being whether it's um the ability to feel like any aspiration is possible and then our job is just to be able to then okay how do we go about making sure they understand how to go about it I love that idea. And I, I love the comparison to walking because it absolutely, right? We're not like, okay, you take this foot and then you go here. We just kind of let it happen and we trust that it will happen. And I just wonder, like, you know, I think there's so much trust that is missing from the process in terms of educators trusting children and students in our educational context. Um, I think, you know, we, we lose that more and more as we kind of push kids through this traditional model of schooling. So I, I'm fascinated by that comparison. Thank you for that. That's right. And just as a little aside to that, today I was, um, we're, we're on the summer holidays here in the UK and, um, and my youngest daughter is um, into gymnastics and tumbling and, and, you know, goes a couple of times a week and does athletics and all that kind of thing. And there's clubs after school. And then this last few weeks, it's been very sort of, we're just at home, you know, she's not been able to go to a couple because it's the holidays and she's been in her room a lot. She's now sort of 14. So we're thinking we need to, do we need to structure the activity? Do we do this? And I'm sort of sort of talking to myself in terms of it's their holidays. They've worked really hard. They've just been through a year of homeschooling, you know, all of that kind of thing. And then just as I was kind of thinking, oh, I don't know, maybe I should do something or say something or be the parent or teacher or whatever it happens to be. She's, um, she sort of walked past me, went out into the garden with her gym mat that she'd got herself from the garage, went onto the lawn and spent an hour or two out stretching, balancing, doing all of that stuff completely on her own. And I thought, yes, I'm glad I didn't say anything. That natural ability of just giving her the space she needed to relax, to get the old term out of her system, to enjoy time with her friends, which she did with a couple of sleepovers, hence the tiredness as well, <laughs> as, well as the teenager. Um, and then away she goes back to her natural self and wanting to be active and stretching and all of that. And I thought, yeah, just sometimes you just need that breadth and, and the ability for these things to happen organically. That's a perfect example. That is amazing. Thank you for sharing that. And when we think about kind of the I almost think about the hesitancy of teachers and, you know, educational leaders to enable students to just do that, right? To be able to just go forth and learn in the way that they do and give them that space and just kind of focus on the environment that we create for them to learn. I'm, I'm curious to know what mindset shifts you think the educators, educational leaders are going to need to have if they've been doing education in a traditional way, not letting kind of loose the reins, uh, so to speak, you know, and, and letting students just experiment and kind of find their way. What would you say to those educators or people who work with those educators or people who work under those leaders um, to, to try to make it possible for that kind of vision that you have for education to, to be possible in their realities? I think in a lot of way, it needs to be fearless and also needs to be empowered by leaders and teachers who know all of this stuff already. I think that the hardest thing at the moment is that 
the system, I mean, certainly in the UK, and I'm sure it's the same in the US as well. It's that kind of, you know, the grades, the standards, it must look like this. It has to be like this. Everyone needs to conform. That's just stifling. It's just really difficult to do. Whereas those leaders who say, Let, let's forget all of that. Let's start with what does every child need? They need to be loved. They need to be nurtured. They need to be inspired. They need to have the opportunity to experience. They need to be part of a community. You know, what is it that we want our children when they leave this area of their education to, to move on to the next thing? What do we want them to leave with? And then with that, you'll bring in what you need. You know, there's going to be arts. There's going to be sports. There's going to be humanities. There's, you know, as well as the STEM subjects and all of that, it's not about one particular thing. It's about starting with all of those things. And, and one of the things I quite like is um, you know, my podcast is Education on Fire. And, and the fire, I've been thinking about this a lot and talking with my daughter as well. And I said, oh, I need to come up with some kind of sort of acronym or something which helps sort of work with that. And we came up together. We were just in the car sort of on a journey. And we said, oh, failure, really, really important to understand what failure is. And in a safe environment, you know, what is that? Because we've all failed over and over and over again. But let's make sure that we know what that means and how it works and how we grow and what we learn from it inspiration i mean we've just had the olympics you know one of the things on the tv this morning for us was um max whitlock and, and um adam Peaty, two of our gold winning medalists talking about the effort they put in and what they can do and how they want to give back to students and you know that's inspirational i mean that's amazing but then you need the resilience because of course that's great i'd love to be an olympic medalist however that's going to take some work it's going to take some understanding you know how do i find a coach where do you know all of that kind of stuff really really important and then the most important thing then for the e was the empowerment so okay great you've got this inspiration it's where you want to go how do we then go about it how do we give them the idea of well-being where do they find a mentor where's that teacher that really sees the student who can then take them under their wing and show them the way to go you know you need to learn this you need to understand that where can we put all these things together to put you on the right path and with all of those things every child has the chance to do what they were born to do in a natural way there doesn't have to be as i said siloed into certain things and i think that's really important because then it's fearless and like i said those those leaders that can create that environment and be fearless like that of course we live in a system that has testing and it has all those things that we've talked about already but generally speaking because the, the breadth of the understanding and the knowledge that the children have experienced they usually thrive in that and they excel because they're doing it from a sense of that of that perspective, you know, I might fail, but I'm going to give it a good go. I've found the teacher that can really support me to do it. You know, I'm inspired by the fact that I know my older brother managed to achieve it last year or the year before. I've seen someone else do it, you know, and I actually know about how to go about it. If I don't, okay, I'll try again next year or the year after, or maybe this particular thing doesn't matter. I'll do it in a different way, in a different subject with a different person. But all of it is a positive step-by-step -step learning experience to for them to live their life, which is what it's all about, rather than everyone living the same life. And I think that fearless, I guess, kind of picture and model and environment that leaders can create, that's the way to do it. And then allow the rest of it to, to kind of seep through into the world of what education in school looks like from sort of the outside, as it were, looking in, rather than starting with that child. What do we want them to leave their school with? Let's start there and let the rest of it take care of itself.
I love that. And that acronym is amazing. I'm so excited about that. I'd love to to take all the credit, but it was my daughter that came up with most of them, which I love even more because it comes from the people that I'm trying to help. So it's fantastic. Yeah, it's totally like modeling in action what you're talking about in this. Yeah, absolutely. And I love that it starts with a failure as well, because that's such a you know, a moment where you're like, well, the, the first letter stands for a failure, but like that, you know, that's so uncommon in education. And so to just kind of throw that out there and kind of give people that moment of like, oh, I need to shift my mind around this because this is not what I'm used to hearing. And, and it's just so powerful. I, and I'm thinking about, you know, when we move to, okay, this is how we, we need to think this, this is kind of the mindset stuff we've been talking about. And then we move to, well, how do we put that into action? What is, what is the brave action that I need to take? to make this kind of fire model come to life in my class. I'm just thinking about a bunch of different possibilities. How do you envision people putting this, this model into being in their classroom or their school? I think a part of it, or actually the majority of it, is just having these conversations about what it is that we want to do. What is it about us as people? What is it about us as a community of schools um, about how we want to show up and do it? And then you have the opportunity to say, and it looks like this in this situation based on maybe something that's happened personally, you know, so you might have deemed this a failure because you got 10 out of 20 in a test. But what did we learn from it? What did you learn that you didn't know about it? How can we change it? You know, oh, right now I want to do a little bit more, you know, okay, so we'll go about that. Here's the skills that we need. Read this, do this. Can I help you with this? And so you've got that personal element that you can do child on child or class on class or or even show it from above. Like you say, I was just talking about sort of Olympic athletes, you know, seeing it from a story given by someone who's kind of been there and done it, as it were. You know, if that's an important part of what you're looking at or studying or, or want to sort of put into their awareness, you can see it from all those different perspectives. But I think it all just then comes down to the here and now, you know. So what am I feeling now? Did I fail? Actually, I didn't fail, you know. How do I want to go about learning it? Well, I can do this. What's my next step? Who's supporting me? Or you are as my teacher or you are as my mentor or my guide or whoever it happens to be. And I think think understanding that and then understanding that it's also further around than just your immediacy of your school. It might be someone just outside of your school. It might be a parent. It might be a friend. It might be, oh, they're all doing the same sort of thing. Once you identify the traits and the understanding and what will get you to what you think you're going to achieve in life and that, of course that, you, that changes and you don't know what it is but it all comes down to a feeling this feels good this I want to find out more about this I want to experiment with this not quite so much okay well let's go with the good stuff let's feel how that goes and then you can thrive and I think a combination of all of those things are going to certainly give you the impetus you need to put you on the right path and I'm hearing a lot in there too, moments for reflection, like creating that environment where we enable students to reflect on that test score or, you know, reflect on whatever failure it, it was and think about, is this the path I want to go down? I mean, those are questions that I think sometimes we as teachers have informally with students. We think of this as something we do, you know, in between classes or before the school day officially starts, but building in time for that in an actual class day as part of a lesson, enabling that personalization that you're talking about. I think is a, is a wonderful opportunity and kind of necessary in kind of the world that you're, you're creating here for us to think about. And so pivotal when we think about, I I think a lot about the curriculum design and I'm, I'm fascinated by curriculum design, but one of the things I hear a lot is we don't have time in the curriculum to do social emotional learning or this thing, or this, you know, and thinking about, can we 
have a curriculum? Can we create something that is so flexible and enables for that breadth of, you know, talking about failure, talking about what kids are are interested in and their passions and helping them co-create requires that kind of flexibility and reflective moments. And so I love that that's just kind of part of what I'm hearing as you're explaining what this would actually look like in practice. Yeah. And and I think it has to be that because then you've always got the skills and the emotional context and the understanding of yourself about the next thing. Because like we said, whether that's about your maths test, or maybe it's about something related to a sporting activity you did, or maybe there's something really happening in your home life that you don't know how to go about it. The same things apply because you're getting used to what life is all about and how you show up in it and how you perceive it and how you can go about changing it if you want to or accepting it if it just needs accepting so then you've got the skills that you need and then you can adapt it because i think the one thing we all know about the world moving forward is it's not going to be anything like it is today it wasn't like it was 20 years ago so therefore that is the most important thing and to give our children the skills they need for that to let them fly to let them solve the problems that need to be solved to feel empowered that they can do it whether they fail a hundred times but get it 101 times or whether they you know it's just an understanding that they're on the right path and they're going to keep doing it and they can surround themselves with the people they need to surround themselves with you know again and again and again it's a positive situation rather than oh, I'm now learning this or this subject or this thing, all in those silos, which just kind of, I don't know, that's just the thing about I go to school, I do as I'm told, I don't ask any questions. I'm doing pretty well on my test. Okay, great. Now I'm 18. And now what do I do? You know, I mean, the whole thing is just a completely different situation. Yeah, totally doesn't prepare people for life. (laughs) So I love that what you're talking about prepares people for life, right? This is this is so profound. And so well said. Thank you so much for summarizing that in the way that the way that you did. I just I think there's so much to to think about there. Um, one of the things that people ask me a lot of times is, okay, Lindsay, you're talking about this ideal situation, or you're talking about justice, or whatever, and and your experience is in the high school setting. But what does this look like for younger grades or younger levels of schooling? And so you are the vice chair of the National Association for Primary Education in the UK. Amazing. And I, I'm just curious to know, can you speak to what that type of education might look like in those, those younger grades? Yeah, I had a fantastic conversation recently with um, Jonathan Lear, and he's one of the associates for an organization called Independent Thinking. Um, and he's also uh, a class teacher and he was talking to me about the curriculum and he's um i think it's now deputy head of an inner city school um multiple languages are taught um uh, spoken in the school and you know they have the same pressures of kind of it must look like this and this is the curriculum and this is the national curriculum and how do you put it together and they took a step back and they were like okay what is it that we want the children to understand and learn because of course that's going to be very different for everyone especially with with the type of um community that they have and the one thing they learned was they, they did the first step, which I think lots of people start to do, which is we need to be more creative. Okay, so let's have a fantastic curriculum, which has all this great inquiry and topic based and, you know, wind all that in with some of the subjects which are traditionally taught in a traditional way in terms of two plus two is four. And you do need to learn that in, at some stage in some way or another. Um, but what it, what they said we found was, is it was still us as the adults kind of leading the children it was still our creativity yes it was fantastic and it might be you know a really inspiring day about whatever the topic had to be 
but it still came from them and then the children did some fantastic work related to it however it still was the adults setting the scene and then the children doing a very good job within it and so what they did was they took it another step forward and they made it really really inquiry based and so the example that he gave was he said they were doing sort of earthquakes natural disasters volcanoes that kind of topic which we do here in the uk and he said for example normally um the art part of that is a paper mache brilliant model of a volcano and you can do the science with it and make it explode and all of that kind of stuff brilliant excellent you learn loads of stuff and everyone's very happy <laughs> brilliant you know that was really great but then he said beyond that you then sort of take it and the concepts and take it even further so they then started talking about okay so you you're in an earthquake there's been a natural disaster you know let's talk about how that would look in terms of resilience um what sort of adversity would you find yourself in um you know what strengths would you need what would the world look like afterwards what if your village was the one that was just by the volcano what do you do then and he said then all of a sudden we had a conversation you know one child will be talking about well i'd be really scared and you know could we run away you know would we have to have no possessions at all what would that feel like and he said at that point we've created the environment we've set the topic we're still in control you know we are the teachers we are sort of providing the curriculum but where that then led you know the art doesn't necessarily need to be a paper mache volcano it could be anything you know and it gets very personal it gets um very sort of conversational and it can take you in any particular direction and that is then a way of all of the skills from all the subjects and all the things that you want to cover then come into the into sort of focus because children decide they want to take it in this direction or that direction oh we can do this or we can do that or we can do the other and there is no final outcome it doesn't need to look like the perfect volcano paper mache thing which is what you kind of want because you can go take yes that's what we wanted some children did a good one some did not a good one this one was amazing there's no volcano paper mache end it could be anything you know um and he said that's brilliant because then it's all about the questioning it's about the environment where do we want to take this do we even need to do a piece of art like that can it be a piece of writing you know actually i'm feeling i want to talk about how i was feeling as i saw the ash start to come down okay well let's maybe talk about let me draw a picture of it actually just being completely desolate after it happens so no longer are we doing big science things and lots of explosions we're just doing a completely dark gray desolate kind of piece of work it's kind of giving the emotion and the understanding of what that was that's not something the teacher said you had to do that's not something that came from i need to do a piece of art it came from an expression of what was related to the topic beyond it and i think all of a sudden that kind of gives everyone the, the, the ability i think to be empowered to take it in their own direction because of course you could have this same conversation in a different school in a different country in a different county in the uk and they'd all have a different idea about what they want that to be and then you can really start to support them if you think oh why well, there's somewhere here we can take this even further or you can sort of decide oh there's somewhere we can take this have you, have you have you heard about this have you heard about that there's a situation that happened in a different country let's just look at that for now and and so you can guide it 
but you're not in complete control and you don't have a picture of what you'd like it to end up with. Again, back to that, you need to be a fearless leader to do that because you don't know what that end result's going to be. But I would bet nine times out of 10, it's a hell of a lot further or higher in what your expectation would be than you would probably set had you set it out to begin with. That's such a great point and, and a great example. I think so many times my students have surprised me, you know, even in the higher grades, just when we enable them to kind of follow their own path of inquiry. And that's such a powerful example. It makes me think of, you know, the driving question of a unit, like you might set the driving question of a unit to be something like, you know, what would happen or how would you experience this event or something? And then from there, I mean, that's an engaging question that everyone's going to want to answer. From there, they develop their own project specific questions. And I, I think that kind of balance between what you're saying, there's, there's still an ability to guide, there's still ability to spark the interest right away um, and, and go to all of those places that you initially wanted them to, you know, we're going to learn about volcanoes, we're going to learn about all these things, but to have them guide that and to have them kind of niche down into, well, this is the subtopic within volcanoes that I'm super interested in. And so I'm just going to have the freedom to go there is so wonderful. And I hope that balance between, you know, guiding and student voice, enabling student voice helps people kind of paint a picture of, oh, this is possible for my class and I can do this. And it doesn't seem as scary as just completely letting go of all control. <laughs> and so this is a lovely um, picture you're painting for us. Yeah, and, and I think the one thing that came across from, from my conversation with him was was the fact that he said it might look different next year because, you know, we created this and we've learned as um, educators and leaders and teachers of how we thought it might go and were surprised. But we can also then tweak that slightly differently to make it even better with different boundaries or support network or whatever it happens to be. Not being rigid ourselves as leaders to think, oh, right, okay, now we found the, you know, the golden bullet or the silver bullet rather to kind of make it look a certain way so that it then looks fantastic. And we know that within this, we're going to get some great results to be able to morph and change and see how it is. The next year group is a different year group with different personalities and different situations. And so I think, yeah, just to, to have it from both sides that we're all learning, we're all morphing, we all have that fluidity to kind of be on that journey together. We're learning together. And I think that's a really powerful place to be. Super powerful. I love that. And I know we we kind of mentioned uh, arts within that framework of, of the volcano example and what could art look like. And so as an advocate for the arts and education yourself, what ways have you seen art uh, be used, you know, in education to help students have that voice, to help students pursue whatever their interests are and, and really help them flourish as, as people in the classroom? Well, I think the, the main thing is my personal experience. You know, I'm a professional musician, you know, I'm, I'm a drummer and percussionist, and I've got to play all over the world in all sorts of different situations. But I remember, you know, being at school and, you know, you go to mass, you go to English, you go to French, you do all of those subjects, and then we did music and there was something about that that was different. And I had a drum teacher who kind of took me under his wing and I thought, well, this is really great. And he said, maybe you should perform in some local ensembles, which I did. And, you know, the whole world opened up. But what it did is it showed me there was a voice that I could use to show up in the world as me in a way that I didn't in any other way. And I think that's what the arts does, you know, whether it's in drama, whether it's actually art in its traditional sense in terms of creating something or painting or drawing or whatever it is if you can find a way to show up in the world authentically I think the arts gives you that outlet and 
And I think that's where the broad curriculum comes from. You know, it may be sport, it may be something else, but the arts, I think just for so many people, it gives them an environment where they can actually say, ah, yes, there's something I can just pinpoint. You know, it was this bit of drama, it was this play, it was this, you know, reading this some particular piece of text that just that really spoke to me what does that mean why did I feel like this then when I've never felt it before or, or I felt that once more but that was in my real life not to do with this why you know why did I identify with that and again we're then back to the questioning and then hopefully because you've created the environment within the school that question then goes back into schools whether it's the teacher or mentor whoever it is what was this where does this come from and then again off you can go and make that kind of work and and you know that sort of emphasis of right, great. This is this is something in your life which you want to just explore. Whether that's something that lasts a day, a week, a month, a year, or in my case, my career. You know, I, it just it just opened up that that entire world. And I think it's I think it's really really important from that point of view. And the other thing which I know is certainly when children struggle um, and they have mental health issues and that kind of thing. The one thing that's always at the front of everything is. We're going to do some art-related stuff. We're going to take everything back to its simplest way. We're going to color in. We're going to draw. We're going to just do something that just focuses the mind on the here and now. And I think there's very little in the arts that you can do which doesn't make you be in the here and now. And that's really, really important because then that gives you a connection with yourself. So there's the voice in terms of, yes, this is me. I can show you what I'm all about. But there's also that understanding of there's there's more to this than just another subject. Um, and I think just having, just knowing that as educators, giving that as an option, not but just because it's a wider opportunity within the curriculum, but because it's an integral part of what we want our students to experience, no matter how far they take that in their life. But it's, it's very different than just a, a broad curriculum then. It's actually about that real kind of learning and empowerment. Wow, I don't think I've ever heard anyone say it in that way, in that in in both that it helps you be in the here and now and it also helps you find a way to show up authentically in the world. Like that is so powerful and so connected to, you know, the, a lot of the work that I do around student voice and student leadership and and so powerful for the I mean, the world is always changing and current events are always happening and and things are always going on, but COVID particularly, I think for a lot of kids um you know, to, to be just here and now in a particular classroom in a particular moment and to kind of land there as opposed to kind of being all over the place in your head thinking about, you know, how's, how's grandma recovering from COVID or, you know, like all of these different things that are happening in our world. Um, I think that's so profound in so many ways, both being in the here and now and being an agent of change uh, for your community in so many ways. And I just absolutely love that. Thank you for sharing that. My pleasure. And, and I think it carries on a little bit for what we spoke about when you were on my show. We were talking about that kind of student voice and, you know, being able to be on a board or to chat to the leadership about what you want to do. You know, this also kind of gives you, you know, if there's arts in there and, you know, you decide to come up with your own play, you come up with your own speech, your ability to present something, you know, it may give you a framework to do that, which you don't have because there aren't X number of students on the board somewhere that can get those things across. And I, I think that there's sort of a broader context about how you can then seize your opportunities and just express yourself and, and get your point across in a, in a way that's already embedded in the school, hopefully, but maybe not in that traditional sense of now we've got a, a leadership meeting and I'm going to tell you that the children 
think that. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's so brilliant. It makes me think of, there's a one student voice study that I included in the literature review of my dissertation that I was just fascinated by, which it was uh, high school students, but I think it could work for anyone where they were actually in an after-school club. I don't think it was part of the daily curriculum, but they were in drama and they, they created their own play um, around experiences of being part of the LGBTQ community. And then they facilitated a discussion with community members, family, staff, as students afterwards, like, okay, well, how did this part of the play make you feel? And like, let's talk about this connected to policy in our school. And, and that was, I had totally forgotten about that study for years until you just said that. And so that just makes me think, yes, there's so much potential and there are people doing it in using art in that way already. And so I think that is so cool. I hope someone listens to this episode and takes that idea and runs with it and lets us know how it goes. Absolutely. <laughs> And so you also, you mentioned I was on your podcast, Education on Fire. You host a wonderful podcast. People should check it out. I'm curious to know, having all of the guests on that you've had, what have you learned from, from hosting that podcast? Or are there any stories or ideas that have stuck with you in being a host? Yeah, I mean, there, there are a few things. I think the one thing that comes across most is the fact that everyone talks about the personal connection. So it was this teacher that made me feel like this. It was this teacher that gave me this opportunity. It was this teacher that opened my eyes to something. No one's ever said, I remember how to do the five times table now because of X. And there might have been a fantastic thing. And the nine times table, we all know you can use your knuckles or all that kind of thing. Um, but it's all about the, the emotion. It's about the feeling, the being seen, the, the, the understanding of, of, of the relationship. Um, and I think that comes across a lot in terms of that's the most important thing, because that's what we're all about. We're all humans. It's about the community and the environment. Um, but one particular guest that always I go back to, um, Vondel Singleton was on. Um, and you know, we're talking about equity and the idea of everyone having an opportunity. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll do it backwards. So he is, um, um, I think he's got a, a master's. Um, he is the person who created something called Champs, which is a men, uh, male mentoring organization in Chicago. He's helping so many people. Um, it's, it's just inspirational, absolutely inspirational. But more so when he talks about how it all started. He had um, a mother who died from drugs, from cocaine, crack, um, crack cocaine. Um, I think his father was in prison through his high school years. Um, he was part of the IW Wells um, housing project. Um, it was a very tough situation to be in. I think he was surrounded by very difficult people in a difficult situation. When, it, when he tells the story, it's very much a, almost like a very desolate movie script. You know, you can kind of sort of see, I mean, how do you survive that? But more importantly, how do you get to be the person that's just inspiring so many people in the world? And it's that kind of thing, no matter where you start from, that isn't where you're going to end up. You have that choice. Um, so, you know, with, with no support and, you know, parents that obviously really were struggling in their life and unable to help him, through his school, um, he had a mentor. And this mentor showed him the opportunities, you know, got him to chat, gave him the opportunities within the school, um, opened his eyes to what was possible and you know he obviously he studied hard and he worked and he kind of created those opportunities for himself but he, he, he sort of pins it all on this one person and 
the thing that struck me was he he went to his mentor and said you know i can't thank you enough you know what is it that i can do to pay you you know how can i help what can i how can i sort of respond and just sort of do that and pay you back and the answer was do for someone else like i've done for you basically just pay it forward and then all of a sudden it all kind of makes sense you know it's that kind of i can use everything i've learned whether it's good bad or indifferent i can help someone else i can use what i've learned and my skills and that will look different for me than it will look for you or somebody else but it's all equitable in as much as we can all decide to do that based on what it is that we want to do and he was the person who went out and created this most amazing opportunity and is helping you know so many young people in chicago just to to understand all the sorts of things that we've been talking about today you know he's not teaching them necessarily how to read and write he's teaching them how to be you know good citizens to understand how they can help other people how they can support themselves how they can create a life that they want to do and, and live in the best kind of way and i just find that that's so inspiring you know that's not kind of it's not equitable in as much as you know we can all start here and we can finish there and it needs to look like this it's equitable because if you understand, I think the majority of what we've talked about today, you can then take the personalization of that and take it in whichever journey you happen to be, because, you know, it's not, it's not a situation where you have to have this experience or that experience or, or anything like that. It's about taking it on board and showing how you can move it forward. And that's what I love about doing the podcast is that hopefully, and like you, you, you expressed before, people hear these stories and understand these things and think, I never thought that was possible, but somebody has done it. So I've heard someone do it. And it might be that you can change that tomorrow in your classroom, or it might be that it's a conversation you can have with someone in the staff room and say, just have a listen to this, or just, you know, think about this. Can we put this into place? And it might be five years, 10 years down the line before it comes to fruition, but it's making that change. It's making a difference. And, you know, that's the best thing you can possibly do. I love that. I think that's that's a huge piece of, I, I always say like think big or dream big. And we start with that dream question at the, at the start of each podcast because we have to know what what is possible. We have to dream up something that is possible that may not be in existence right now. And I think podcasts are a beautiful way, particularly how you do your podcast centered on stories, centered on the personal experiences of folks who are in education because that's what that's what grabs people by the heart and that's what gives people that that possibility and that imagination and so i i absolutely love that that you're doing that podcast and everyone should go check that podcast out subscribe to it it's amazing um as we kind of start to wrap up the episode i'm curious to know what's one thing you would encourage listeners to do once they turn off the podcast they're going about their day something that enables them to really live in alignment with um, these values of justice and equity, the things that we've been talking about today? I think it's a really great question. And and I was thinking about it before, Lindsay, and I just, I just think the one thing I would suggest, and it makes a big difference, but it's a small thing, is ask someone a question to get an answer about their life that you didn't know. And then that opens up a conversation. It gives you an insight into their world that you didn't know existed before. It gives you a frame of reference and an understanding. And without knowing where that will go, in that kind of fearless way, <laughs> I don't know where that is, but it will completely, one, give you that emotional connection and it will just open up a door somewhere that will help somebody in a way that you never thought was possible. 
That is so powerful. I'm also thinking about just the notion of curiosity, which I think is really tied to justice conversations and having conversations about justice that aren't polarizing, that don't shut people down. It is just being curious. And what a wonderful way to just manifest that and, and actually just practice curiosity by just asking people questions. This is brilliant. I love it. And such an easy thing to do. <laughs> Absolutely. And I, and I think that's that's a really great point you made there is the fact that you know, we talk about system change, we talk about these massive things. And I think it all usually comes back well, to the moment as we spoke about before, but more importantly about, you know, the here and now, what can we do now? That one question, that one, one piece of advice, or often just a look, just that kind of, uh, yeah, I know where you are today. I, I've got you, but that comes from having those conversations and those questions before. So yeah, it's a small thing, but I think like you say, it can be really important. Awesome. And and this is just a question that I usually ask for fun. What is something that you have been learning about lately? And I ask that just because I think everyone on the podcast is really a lifelong learner and going about, you know, not only teaching and educating in that sense, but really educating ourselves and, and learning. So what's one thing you've been learning about? So so certainly um one of the things I've I've been reading actually is a book by Margaret Rook and it's called Um You Can Change the World. And in that, she interviews, I think it's 50 teenagers. Um, and it's basically people who are showing up, doing amazing things, sharing their stories from amazingly different circumstances. Some of them, you know, quite difficult circumstances, but really changing their world and in turn inspiring others. And the thing I love about it the most is it changes the narrative about what society and maybe the media perceive as what teenagers are about and what they do you know the, these are young people who are literally inspirational as teenagers not this is what i'm going to do when i'm 20 30 having been to college university this is what they're doing now as teenagers you know some of it very personal some of it very practical but really just that kind of it just fills you with it's, it's a lens again it's that kind of this is what teenagers can do and are doing so let's see what those teenagers are doing in your life or my life and see if we can encourage that. So cool. And I think about how you were talking about the eye and fire, you know, inspiring and 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 being really excited about sharing stories like athletes and, and things like that. That is such great content. If someone was like, oh, I want to go do that. I want to inspire people, like grab that book, open it up, you know, give it to kids, give excerpts to kids. And really let them dream up, you know, whether it's for class, like this is a project that I want to do. And I know it's possible because I read about this in this book or for, for life, right? Not like outside of the classroom and, and being an agent of change. So I love like concrete recommendations like that, that you can go ahead and use right away. So amazing. And finally, where can listeners learn more about you or connect with you online? Yeah. So as you mentioned, educationonfire.com is is my my world online. And um and what I've done, because um I think what you're doing is so important and, and so helpful for so many people, is um as part of my job as the National Association for Primary Education Vice Chair, as you mentioned, is they provide a professional journal three times a year. Um and a recent issue was about um equity and diversity and, and a whole range of things like that. So what I've done is I've created a page which gives you a link to be able to read that journal online for free. Um, and also I did a couple of follow-up podcasts um, for NAEP as well, which I'll, I'll copy them into that page. So you've got it all there in one go. So if you go to educationonfire.com forward slash time for teachership, 
then we'll make sure that all of that is there for you just to, to have a look at. And hopefully it'll give you a little bit of, uh, of extra inspiration and, and support. That is amazing. Marcella, thank you so much for doing that and for being on the podcast today. This is a wonderful conversation. Oh, Lindsay, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thanks for listening, amazing educators. If you loved this episode, you can share it on social media and tag me at Lindsay Beth Alliance or leave a review of the show so leaders like you will be more likely to find it. To continue the conversation, you can head over to our Time for Teachership Facebook group and join our community of educational visionaries. Until next time, leaders, continue to think big, act brave, and be your best self. Thank you.